loved with millions on high. He hid my soul in the cleft of the rock that shadows a dry, thirsty land. He hid my life in the depths of his love and covers me there with his hand and covers me there with his hand. Please be seated. Told some of the ladies in the kitchen that it was a shame y'all didn't bring enough food today to eat. Good night. Almost wanted to preach on gluttony this afternoon, but I would have been the biggest offender. Well, I do want to just share a little bit. This won't be long today, um, I pray. And I want to just, just sort of talk to you a little bit about, an, a, a, I think, one of the most important topics in the church. I think it's, it's a topic that every single one of us, from the youngest to the oldest, every one of us needs to have a good handle on this subject. We need to have a better understanding of how important it is. And it's about encouragement. And I want to just briefly say one thing about encouragement before I get to the second thing. But the first thing I would say is that every one of us has the responsibility to encourage ourselves. I hear from a lot of people that when they get discouraged, the first thing they want to do is they want to blame their discouragement on somebody else. They didn't come and visit me, or the preacher didn't speak to me, or the elders didn't remember me uh, in their meeting. Or, but when they get discouraged, and every one of us gets discouraged, no matter who you are, it, I don't care how wealthy you are or how healthy you are, you get discouraged in life. And you have responsibility to encourage yourself. And you can do that a number of ways. Certainly, in your private devotional with God, when you spend time with Him in His Word, especially to memorize a, a large portion of God's Word and to commit it to memory and to have it dwelling in your heart. But you can spend time in God's Word and let God's Word encourage you, and that's one of the ways you can encourage yourself. And through prayer. Right now, we are going to devote all of this year with the theme of connecting to God through prayer. And we have put together a calendar where I'm going to preach four different mini-series about prayer, about the promises of prayer, about the great prayer... Uh, uh, great prayers of the Bible in the Old Testament, New Testament, four different series on prayer. And then at the end of the year, we're going to celebrate how God has answered our prayers through the year. So I've been in the midst of a first of these four series about prayer. So I'm getting a, a renewed understanding and deeper devotion to my own prayer life. And I realize there's been so much more improvement necessary in my life. Someone has said that prayer is the glue that holds the Christian life together. And I would probably agree. And so you've got private Bible study. And then you have prayer. And certainly these times of worship. 
It's, it is no accident that the Hebrew writer said, don't forsake these times of assembly so that you can stir one another to love and good works. But being a part of these assemblies is one of the best ways that you can encourage yourself. Every once in a while, someone will come to talk to me, and they're so discouraged, and, and they think they need to go somewhere else. I said, well, okay, well, now what Bible class do you attend? Well, we don't really attend Bible class. Well, how often do you, do you and your husband or you and your wife, how much time do you spend in, in Bible study and prayer together? Well, we don't really do much of that. And, and then I'll even say, how often are you in worship here? And I say, well, we, we, we come maybe once or twice a month. Well, no wonder you're discouraged. You're not doing anything hardly to encourage yourself. And I tell them, honestly, if you take these same habits to another congregation, you're not going to stay there very long either. But you can do it through study, through prayer, through these times of worship where we come together and we have these friendships and these fellowships. But also, can I, also, uh, can I remind you of one other very important thing? I should have asked for the song to be sung. Count your blessings. It's one of the best ways you can encourage yourself is to remember to give thanks for how many good things are happening in your life. My wife and I prayed just a few days ago, and we've had a difficult week with some of my health issues and with the loss of her father. And there's at times where I do a lot of the praying, but every once in a while she says, I want to pray with you tonight. And I said, okay. And I'll pray, and then I'll be silent, and I'll listen to her prayer. And all she prayed about was things that she was thankful for. Not one time did she say a single word about feeling sorry for herself. And she counted her blessings. Okay, all that's free. That really has nothing to do with my lesson this afternoon, but I felt it's important to share that you have a responsibility to encourage yourself. Number two, the Bible is very clear that we have a responsibility to encourage one another. Now, if I ask you, who is the great encourager of the New Testament? All of us would say Barnabas. Without exception, we would all say Barnabas. And I would agree. And that's not even his name. His name is Joseph, or in some of your translations, Joseph. He's a Levi from Cyprus. But because of his character, because of his interaction with people and the way that he could lift up their spirits and build them up, the apostles gave him a nickname, Bar, meaning son. He is the son of encouragement. They could look at him and say, if you need encouragement, just go spend a little time with Barnabas and you will be encouraged. So I want to think about Barnabas just a little bit. Because when you read in Acts chapter 2 about those beginning days of the church, you know that on the day of Pentecost, they started out with 3,000 who were baptized into Christ that day. But the numbers grew dramatically so that just a few chapters later, the church's 5,000 men plus women and the children. So it's growing. And I can tell you in my years of ministry that the more people you have, the more problems that will exist. Well, one of the problems that the church was having was persecution. When you come to chapter 4, there is a, a real animosity on the part of the Jews against the church. In fact, two of the leaders have been arrested, James and John. And there's a, there is a 
a real negativity that is being expressed toward many of these Jews who are now Christians. So much so that friends that they used to have will no longer be friends with them. Places of business where they would go into the marketplace and do their work, now they won't do any work with them. And there are things going on now in their life that used to be very natural, but now that they're a Christian, nobody wants to have anything to do with them. And I wonder how many of those early Christians got that buyer's remorse mentality. You know what I'm talking about? You ever bought a new car? When I go to buy a new car, I always have in my mind, I'm, I'm going to only get this much car with this many features that has that kind of a monthly payment. I'm going to keep as low as I can. But then you stick your head inside of one of those new cars, and you take a good whiff of the, the new car smell. I wish someone would come up with a woman's cologne that is really, truly a new car smell. I mean, that would be awesome. I love the new car smell. And you get inside of that, and, and I'll sit in one. I'll, I'll always look at the cars that I know I should buy, and then I look at the ones that I really want, and I get in there, and the leather seats are just so much more comfortable, and there's more bells and whistles than on the space shuttle, and, and, and you talk yourself into more car than you need. And a few days later, when you start thinking about how many payments you're going to have to make on this car and how large those payments are, you start thinking, have I done the right thing? Have I made a mistake here? I think some of those earliest Christians may have thought just like that when there was so much animosity toward them in the marketplace and among their former friends. And they're becoming discouraged. And I, I wonder if they're asking themselves, did I make a mistake to put my faith in Jesus Christ? And then along comes Barnabas. Because he's one of those people that takes a piece of property and he goes and he sells it. He's not the only one, there's others, but he takes a piece of his own property, sells it, and he brings the proceeds and lays it at the apostles' feet to be distributed to anyone who has a need, or may I say it this way, to anyone who has become discouraged. And I can see Barnabas coming alongside of some of these new Christians and say, don't be discouraged. It's the best decision you ever made to put Jesus Christ on in baptism was the best thing you ever did. You stay in there, and, and you keep running this Christian race, and we're going to do everything we can to help you along the way. And you keep reading in the book of Acts. And you come to Acts chapter 9. And you read about a fellow by the name of Saul of Tarsus. He was a young, ambitious uh, part of the Pharisees. And he had been commissioned to stamp out this new religion called Christianity. And he was as good as they could find. And had it not been for divine intervention... Saul of Tarsus was just the fellow to defeat the church of God. But you know what happened on that road to Damascus? He's blinded by the light. He goes into Damascus, and for three days he isn't, he's unable to see anything. He doesn't eat. He doesn't drink. And God sends Ananias. He tells Ananias, he's going to be my preacher to the Gentile world. You go 
and share with him the gospel. And you tell him that I have chosen him. And Saul of Tarsus obeys the gospel. He is baptized. And immediately he goes into the synagogues preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And the Jews get word of this. And now they see Saul of Tarsus as a traitor, as a turncoat. And they don't like it. In fact, they want to kill him because they know what he's capable of accomplishing. And there are some disciples in D Damascus. You remember the story? They let Saul of Tarsus you know, in a basket uh, through the wall, and he is able to, to escape. And after a time, he goes to Jerusalem. And all he wants to do is to join with the fellowship of believers in Jerusalem. And they don't want anything to do with him. They know who he is. They know what he has done. They may have friends or loved ones who are in prison because of him or maybe put to death because of him. They don't want anything to do with him. They know what happened with Stephen. And they don't want him in their fellowship at all. How do you think Saul of Tarsus feels? He's a man without any friends. The Jews and the Pharisees don't want him. He can say, I had it made with the Pharisees. The sky was the limit for me. And now they want me dead. And the Christians, they're afraid of me. They don't want anything to do with me. And he must have been very discouraged. But then here comes Barnabas. And the Bible only says one line. And all it says is Barnabas goes to the apostles. I wish we had more detail, but somehow he works it out so that Saul of Tarsus has the fellowship of Christians in Jerusalem. But you keep reading in the book of Acts, and you come to Acts chapter 11. Now, in the meantime, there's been a famine uh, that's, that's beginning to happen. But you come to Acts chapter 11... And, and the church, the focus of the church is beginning to come away from Jerusalem and more toward Antioch. It's growing. In fact, around verse 26 or so, it says the hand of the Lord was on them. And, and they're growing. Why are they growing? Because the church in Jerusalem wanted to encourage the church in Antioch. And if, and if they wanted to encourage them, who do you think they would send? They sent Barnabas. Barnabas goes to Antioch to be the preacher in Antioch. And the hand of the Lord is on them. It's growing. And by all of the, the evidence I can read, it appears that Barnabas is an excellent preacher for that church. And God is blessing that work. But while he is there, he begins to think about someone. Down in Tarsus is a man by the name of Saul. God has plans for him. Some of the commentaries that I read say it's been about 10 years since Ananias baptized Saul of Tarsus and when Barnabas is in Antioch. And do you know what Barnabas does? He goes down to Tarsus and he finds Saul and he brings him to Antioch to work with him. Now this is going to be a man who is going to be given far more credit for preaching 
than Barnabas will ever get. He is going to be given more credit for building churches than Barnabas will ever get. And yet there's not a competitive bone anywhere in Barnabas's body that he is willing to bring a man who has the gifts and the qualities of a man like Saul of Tarsus to come and work with him in Antioch. It would be kind of like me coming to Abilene to encourage Chris McCurley to come and work with me in, in Circe, and I don't want that because he's probably a better preacher than I am. But Barnabas doesn't feel that way. And they work for about a year together, and then because of that famine that's back in, in Judea, the church in Antioch takes up a collection and they send the money to encourage the believers in Jerusalem. They send it by way of Saul and Barnabas. But his story doesn't end there. You come to Acts chapter 13 and 14 and 15 and you read about those missionary journeys. And Barnabas and, and Saul, who will now take on that Roman name, Saul is his Jewish name, Paul is his Roman name. He'll start to take the name Paul more often. And they go on that first missionary journey. And they take a young man with them by the name of John Mark. And it's a tough journey. It's very arduous. And somewhere along the way at Pamphylia, John Mark has had enough. We don't know altogether what happened, but he abandons them. And he quits the journey. And he goes back home. Then you read in chapter 15, it's time for that second missionary journey. And Paul and Barnabas are preparing to go on another journey. And guess what? John Mark wants to go with them again. And Paul said no. And Barnabas said yes. Let's give him a second chance. You ever needed a second chance? Every one of us do. And Paul said no. No second chance. And there's a heated argument. How do you think John Mark feels? Here are these two great stalwarts of the faith, Paul and Barnabas, and they're arguing each other, with each other, and it's because of him. And it's an argument that doesn't get settled. And Barnabas won't give in. And Paul won't give in. And so Paul takes Silas. And they go on a journey in this direction. And Barnabas takes John Mark, and they go in another direction. And now the gospel is spreading in two different directions, all because Barnabas is an encourager. I'll stop there. I promise I wouldn't keep you long. But I wonder, I wonder, I wonder if John Mark would have ever become the author of the second gospel that bears his name had it not been for the encouragement of Barnabas. And I wonder, I wonder if Saul of Tarsus would have ever become the great apostle and preacher Paul had it not been for the encouragement of Barnabas and I wonder I wonder if the church in Antioch would have ever become that great missionary church that it became 
if it were not for the encouragement of Barnabas. And I wonder how many of those early Christians would have turned and gone right back into Judaism had it not been for the encouragement of a man like Barnabas. And I don't want to take away anything that James or John or Paul or any of the other early uh, leaders in the church, what, what they were able to do, but I think it's a fair question to ask. Was Barnabas the most important person in the church in those days? And I think you can make the case to say yes. Because of Barnabas, Mark became who he was. And Paul became who he became. And the church in Antioch. And all of those early Christians stayed faithful. There's an interesting verse in the book of Job that says this. It's in Job chapter, I want to say four. Now, Job chapter 4 and verse 4. And Job is speaking with his friends briefly and, and talks a little bit about his life. And his friends talk about Job and say this, You, Job, you have supported those who have stumbled. One translation says, You have kept men on their feet. That's Barnabas. Barnabas kept Christians faithful and kept churches going and kept preachers preaching and teachers teaching and deacons deaconing he's that kind of person and you have some barnabases in this church too you have to no church would do as well as the oldham lane church is doing unless you have some encouragers they are the most important people in the church. Not to diminish what your preacher means to you or what your shepherds mean to you or your teachers. But I'm telling you, without encouragers, this church will dry up and die. Have you ever seen the movie, been out several years now, Marley and Me? It's about a family that adopts a yellow retriever dog named Marley. And he's a rambunctious dog, and he's a wild thing, and, and, and they just share their life together as he creates wildness and mayhem in their life, and yet he loves everyone in the family unconditionally. And Marley, for all of his faults, he has the unique ability to make every person in the family feel like they are the most important person in the world and the same thing that happens to Marley that happens to a lot of dogs they grow old and they grow ill and Marley got ill and he became deaf and the family was struggling with how they're going to say goodbye to Marley but eventually Marley dies and the owner of Marley who wrote the book and the movie was based on that he offers a, a eulogy about his dog Marley. Now, in the beginning days, he couldn't stand Marley, but he grew to love him. And here's what he said. He said, a dog has no use for fancy cars 
or big homes or designer clothes. A waterlogged stick will do just fine, thank you. A dog doesn't care if you're rich or poor, clever or dull, smart or dumb. Give him your heart and he will give his in return. Here's the last line in the book. How many people can you say that about? How many people can make you feel rare and pure and special? How many people can make you feel extraordinary? Every one of you can do that. If a dog can make someone feel extraordinary, people who are filled with the Spirit of God and who walk in the footsteps of Jesus, every one of you have the ability and have the God-given gift to make other people feel good and pure and special. Every one of you has the ability to make someone around you feel extraordinary. And if you'll take that challenge, and if you will encourage maybe someone who's teaching, but it's a struggle for them. If you can encourage someone who's leading in worship, but they don't feel like they have done a very good job. If you can find someone who's trying to do a good work, but they're not able to get much traction. Things aren't working out the way that they want it to. If you can be a Barnabas and come and put an arm around the shoulder and tell them that the best decision you ever made was to become a child of God. And the best thing you can do is to hang in there and stay faithful and stay active and keep working and keep teaching and keep singing and keep doing. Because if you can encourage someone in this church, you are the most important person in this church to that person. So if I can encourage you a little bit this afternoon, be a Barnabas. Be that person who keeps preachers preaching and teachers teaching and deacons deaconing. Let's pray. Father, as we close our time together, my time here at Oldham Lane has been so special. Thank you for honoring me to allow me to be a part of this weekend. Father, this is a good and growing church. It's a faithful church. It's a loving church. They have shown such hospitality to me. And Father, I thank you for the way you are working through this congregation to bring about your goodwill on earth, Father. Just bless them. Bless the leaders of this church and, and bless its teachers. But Father, find the encouragers and build them up. Fill them with your spirit. And Father, use those men and women to make this church to be everything that you want it to be. In the name of our Savior and friend Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. God bless you.